All I can say to that is glory. Good, good worship tonight. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 19 tonight. Remember, as we're studying the book of James, we're studying a book that was written by one of Jesus' brothers. Many times as Christians, we suffer due to lack of examples to look at. Well, James and his brothers and sisters certainly didn't lack for good example around them of what it meant to follow God, to love God, to worship God, because Jesus was all that and so much more. And so everything that James is telling us, certainly he's reflecting back on his childhood and his young teenage years and his young adult years where he grew up in the same home with Jesus and the things that he saw even back then before he became a believer, I believe, was making a great impression and imprint upon his heart and soul. And he talks to us about those things in the book of James. Now, by way of quick review, we remember James started out this book by telling us that our values determine our evaluations. Therefore, how we approach our trials is based on our values. Then he says... God wants to create in us a heart that values what he values. And we talked about what that looked like in the second week. And then last week we talked about the goodness of God. And the reason that even ties into valuing what God values is, I won't value what God values if I really don't believe that he's good. I've got to believe it's got to be a strong conviction of mine that God is good in order then to embrace the values that he has and that he has for me. And we saw last week that James ended that passage on the goodness of God by reminding us one of the greatest examples of God's goodness to us is that he made a way for us to become his children, a new birth. And so in verse 18, he talks about us being a kind of first fruits of all he created. And I'd like to start tonight there, because tonight's message is just a continuation of that truth. And so tonight we're going to talk about foundations for fruitfulness, because God's design, God's will, God's desire for each of us is that we would be a first fruits of all that he created. What were first fruits? Well, first of all, they were fruit. And so we're going to talk about being fruitful tonight. Jesus said, in this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. The Bible talks a lot about us being fruitful Christians, and we're going to talk about how we become a fruitful Christian. But more than that, James here is also reminding us that first fruits was the first offering to God of the harvest. And it was a reminder that because it was the first fruits, that there was more to come. More to come. It wasn't all of the fruit, it was the first fruits. And so, even for us, when we come to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that's just the beginning. And that's what James wants to remind us of as well tonight. Salvation is just the beginning. And yes, we are truly saved the moment we trust Christ as our Savior, positionally. And that's 
what Paul talks about to the Romans when he uses the word justification. Positionally, we're there. We're forgiven. We're on our way to heaven. We're a child of God. But practically, God wants to work out that salvation or have what is worked in us work itself out throughout the rest of our lives. And that's the term that Paul uses in the book of Romans called sanctification. Big, maybe theological words, but they really have just very practical, everyday meaning. Positionally, we accepted Christ, we're saved. But James is also going to talk to us today about the salvation of our souls. And many might say, well, I thought I was saved when I came to Christ. Yes, positionally. But practically and purposefully, God has a plan for us that once we become one of his children, we are to spend the rest of our lives being conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and to become more like him, to become fruitful. Because when we became a Christian, that was just, in a sense, the first fruits. That was the first offering of faith. Now we spend the rest of our lives becoming more and more fruitful and bearing much fruit over our lifetime. That's why Paul says to the Corinthians, we talked about this last week, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passing away, all things are becoming new. Paul says to the Ephesians, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. Good works. So tonight, James wants to talk to us about the foundations for fruitfulness in our life. And it's really just two things. One is below the surface, one is above the surface. And using sort of an agrarian or agricultural mindset, because certainly James grew up with that, he wants to talk to us about the soil, our soil, soil of our heart, and he wants to talk to us about the sprout that comes from that soil, if you will, using, you know, same word, alliteration, the fruit. That uh, God starts with what is what can't be seen, and then eventually once that is in place, then what can be seen will sprout out from what cannot be seen. One of the few parables that is included in every one of the Gospels is the parable of the soils, where Jesus says, the seed is the word of God, and it falls on a human heart. And there's all different kinds of soil, but really only one is receptive to the Word of God, truly, and is planted there and penetrates the heart and brings eventual forth fruit. The, the others hits rocky ground or, or weeds choke it out or whatever, and it's just, it, it never bears fruit. Something tells me James heard that kind of terminology in whatever growing up with Jesus. And so notice, beginning in verse 19 through verse 21, we have the first foundation for fruitfulness, and that is the receptivity to the Word of God. He's talking to us about the soil of our heart or of our life. He's talking about having a soil that God can work with and that the Word of God can penetrate. And how does that all come about? Well, first of all, he says, understand this. 
That simply means to be aware of this, of the significance of something, to grasp the importance of something. The importance of what? That we are the first fruits of all that God created. That salvation is not the end. It is just the beginning. And that God wants us to be first fruits and, and to have that offering of more to come. And that our life will then continue to unfold more and more fruit. So he says, understand this, my dear brothers. Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So he starts out by saying, first of all, we've got to be good listeners, ready and willing. And by the way, this word listen almost exclusively refers to hearing God's voice, not even listening to others. That's another thing. Are we ready and willing to hear God's voice when he speaks? Are we listening for God to speak? Do we recognize his voice? Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice and they will follow me. There were times through in the Bible where God would speak and the people that he was speaking to didn't even know it was God. Take Eli the priest in the Old Testament. We can become calloused, if you will, or insensitive to the voice of God when he is speaking to us. And so James starts there. Good listeners, always good listeners, growing and being a good listener, but especially being in tune with God's voice in our life. And then he says, slow to speak. In other words, take your time and don't be in a hurry to talk. Wow. Wow. The day and age in which we live, just the opposite, isn't it? People are doing a lot of talking and, talking and not a lot of listening. And yet the Bible teaches us that the way to produce fruit, that one of the foundations of having a, a good soil, if you will, in our life for the Word of God to penetrate and to be planted in is that we listen more and talk less. I couldn't help but think of these verses when I read that in James out of the book of Ecclesiastes. You'll re remember these verses, I'm sure, when I read them to you out of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Solomon writes, be careful what you do when you go to the temple of God. Draw near to listen rather than to offer a sacrifice like fools, for they do not realize that they are doing wrong. Do not be rash with your mouth or hasty in your heart to bring up a matter before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. James said, let every person be ready and willing to listen and slow to speak, and then slow to anger. Put the brakes on our human anger. Because he's not talking about spirit anger here or righteous anger. Anger that is controlled. Anger that is purposeful. He's talking here about uncontrolled emotional outbursts of human anger that primarily is seeking vengeance on someone else instead of giving place for God to... God's wrath in that situation. And he's simply saying angry people, 
especially those who just develop a disposition of anger, that, that sort of underneath the surface, always just ready to pop, if you will, or, or get upset about something. He says that kind of disposition or attitude or heart does not create a soil to first of all, be willing to listen to God or anyone else, and it, it does not create a meekness, if you will, inside of us that, that allows God to speak into our life to a point where it will penetrate and eventually be productive and bring forth fruit. Because that's why he goes on to say, uh, anger does not accomplish God's righteousness, you see. That's why God tells us to put away that kind of anger, you see. Because when we're angry, we're probably not listening. And second of all, our heart is not ready to receive anything when we're angry. And this is all about, first of all, I've got to be a good receptacle for God to speak into and for his word to penetrate my life if I'm ever going to be fruitful. Then he goes on. Put away all filth and evil excess. Basically, clean up the garden of your life. <laughs> Get rid of the weeds, the rocks, everything in there that will displace or choke out or not allow the word of God to penetrate. Think of, again, your heart as a garden, as soil. Jesus talked about that in the parable of the soils. And the filth and the evil excesses is, is just stuff that, again, is, is, is baggage that does not allow God to be received and welcomed and embraced in our life. We don't have room for him and what he wants to do because we're busy doing our own thing. And then James adds, and humbly welcome the message. Be teachable. Be receptive to what God wants to plant in our hearts. And that's why James goes on to say, this message is something that God wants to plant within you in a soil that will grow, that will develop, that will eventually be productive and will bear fruit. And then he goes on to say, able to save your souls. And again, so that we're not confused here, because some would say, well, wait a minute. I thought I was already saved. Yes. But James isn't talking about justification. He's not talking about positionally the moment we accepted Christ and our sins were forgiven. He's talking about working it out practically in our life. Bearing fruit, because our initial faith was just the first offering. It was just the first fruits. There should be more to come. The saving of our souls here is us becoming who God created us to be, following his purpose and plan for us in our lives. It is, in a sense, learning to maximize our God-given potential. God is never after perfection because God understands even better than we do. You and I will never be perfect or be able to be perfect while here on earth in this human flesh. But we can achieve 
the potential that God placed within us as his children. We can maximize it. We can find out what his plan and purpose is, and we can live to that end and for that end and bear fruit continually and even increasing our fruit over the years that we are saved. And that's what James means when he says it's able to save your soul, you see. But obviously, if you take verses 19, 20, and 21, and especially if you look at the words implanted within that James uses in verse 21, it's first of all all about what God needs to do inside of us before the fruit is even evident. See, what, what happens on the inside, out of sight, underneath the ground, is as important, if not more important, than because... It's the fruit that's going to come from that rich, fertile soil. And God first has to see that our hearts and our minds, in a sense, are that rich, fertile soil that he can plant things in as he speaks to us through his spirit, through his word, through worship, through dreams, through visions, whatever God chooses to use, he wants to plant it in there in soil that will eventually grow, develop, and be productive. That's underneath. That's the first part. And that's the first step of the foundation for fruitfulness. That soil part, that inner part, that hidden part, you see welcoming, embracing, receiving God's revelation and God's messages to us each and every day. But James doesn't stop there, because if we stopped there, it wouldn't be enough. James says God wants the soil to be right so that the fruit will come out of it and it will be expressed outwardly, that what is in will be expressed outwardly. Think of it the same way that Paul tells the Philippians, work out your salvation. Again, it's, I'm saved, but what God is doing on the inside has to eventually come out. That's the way God designed it. That's healthy. So James says, verse 22, be sure you also live out, carry out, are a doer of the message and not merely listen to it and so deceive yourselves. Deceive myself? Yeah. I can't be fruitful without also living it out. Just because I take it in and just because I'm good at taking it in and receiving it is only half the equation of fruitfulness. And, and I'll never become a fruitful Christian. I will never maximize my God-given potential unless I learn to live it out. I'm going to miss my desired destination of being a fruitful Christian and, and reaching my potential if I think that I can do it without living it out. That's what he means by deceiving ourselves. It, it's sort of like, you have severely miscalculated the roadmap that you're following and you're going to end up in the wrong place. 
you see. You're using a faulty GPS in your head to think, I can, I can, I can be good and I can, I can do this without ever continually applying what God is doing inside of me. Because that's really another key word, I guess you could say, to summarize verses 22, application. I've got to learn that every time God is revealing things to me and speaking to me on the inside, I've got to take that and I've got to in some way figure out what does God want me to apply to my life and how do I apply what God's saying to me to my life? And that's what James wants to talk to us about. That's the second part of the foundation for fruitfulness. For he says in verse 23, if someone merely listens to the message and does not live it out, he's like someone who gazes at his own face in a mirror. He gazes at himself and then goes out and immediately forgets what sort of person he was. Now let me say this before I make a comment about this. That's why we as Christians, especially those of us that love the Word and love to be in the Word and want the Spirit to be speaking to us, We've got to be careful that we don't just become spiritual sponges where we are taking in all this information biblically, spiritually, theologically, whatever you want to say, but we're not making the connection that as we take it in, we're also putting it into practice. Because you've got to do both to be fruitful. You and I have to do both to maximize our potential, to save our soul. You can't just take it in. You've got to say, how do I apply this, and, and what is it that God wants me to apply to my life? And so he uses this idea of a person coming before a mirror and looking at themselves in the mirror. So there's nothing wrong with the mirror. There's nothing wrong with their eyesight. They see what the reflection is in the mirror. He says, but the, the difference here is, that they leave that mirror and they can immediately forget what they saw in the mirror. Now, very important here. The word forget in verse 24 and the word forgetful in verse 25 are not as much a matter of memory as much as they are words speaking to us about priority. Let me repeat that because that's very important. Because most of the time in our idea of being forgetful, we equate that with, I'm losing my memory. And I'm not saying that that's not sometimes the case. As we get older, we can't remember things as much as when we're younger. And then there's certainly things that we deal with in our society where people literally, you know, cannot remember things. There's a physical thing going on there. That's not what James is talking about. James, again, is talking about, in a sense, our heart. And, and he's saying to us that if, if there's nothing really wrong with our memory, it's more a matter of priority. In other words, James is saying, you and I, if we're honest, remember the things that are really important. And the things that aren't really important, we sort of let that go in this ear and out that ear. It doesn't stick. If it was really, really significant and important, we would remember. We would remember, you see. And that's 
what he's speaking to here. He's saying that as a Christian, if I hear God's voice, if I hear God speaking to me, it's got to be a priority that I go, okay, yes, good. God's speaking to me. I recognize his voice. Now, what do I do with what he just told me? How do I take what he's just told me or taught me or what I've learned from him, and how do I apply that and put that into practice in my life? What, what do I need to adjust, change, prioritize, all these things? I need to go through that process. Otherwise, all that God is saying to me is really just his words falling to the ground and never making an impact in the way we live, which is why we as Christians can, can get to the place where we can come to churches and come to Bible studies and, and even read the Word and study it for ourselves. And yet our life, if you look at our life, it never really goes through any kind of transformation or change because maybe we're only taking the first step in the foundation of fruitfulness, which is I'm willing to take it in but I'm never willing to make the connection to, as I'm taking it in to figure out how I also plug it into my life. That's why he says in verse 25, the one who peers into the perfect law of liberty, who inspects it carefully, uh, the biblical principles that truly set us free to become who God created us to be, which is why he uses the phrase perfect law of liberty, and then fixes or rivets his attention there and does not become a forgetful listener, but one who lives it out, he will be blessed in what he does. And again, the word forgetful there and the word forget up in verse 24 speak more about being negligent or careless. It's a matter of priority, not memory. James is saying, are we negligent and careless with what God is saying to us because we're not making the connection from what he's speaking to us about and putting it somehow into practice or application into our everyday life? See, he says in verse 25, God wants us not only to implant within verse 21, he wants us to live it out, verse 25. There's the two, implanted within so that we can live it out. Those are the two aspects that we're talking about tonight, the foundation for being fruitful. Are we letting God plant it within us so that eventually we can live it out and let that fruit be seen, working out our salvation? And by the way, James says only those who have the desire and the diligence to live it out, will be blessed. What does it mean to be blessed by God? Well, one of the things it means is that God will extend his grace. God's not going to extend his grace to those that have no desire to live out the message. We're on our own. But those of us who truly want to live out what God is teaching us and showing us and speaking into our life, God will extend his grace so that we can do it. He'll give us the power, and he even will give us the desire to do what he's showing us we need to do or not do in that case, you see. That's what it means to be blessed. It's one of the aspects, I guess I should say, of living under the blessing of God. Now, 
to close tonight, verse 26 and 27 are by no means an exhaustive list of what it means to be fruitful. But James here just picks out a couple of things that are, he thought, good examples, good illustrations of being a productive, fruitful Christian. One who had soil that God could plant his message in and it would grow and develop and bear fruit. And one that instead of always being disconnected from what we hear to what we live out or what we practice, but there's that constant connection that as I'm taking it in, I'm also seeking out ways to live it out and put it into practice and make it a habit or build a discipline into my life. And I think that, personal opinion, I think James chose these three particular things because I think that these were three things he saw in his brother Jesus. And they stood out to him throughout his life. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when he started thinking about examples of what does it mean to be a fruitful Christian, I think he just maybe even went back and he said, well, you know what? If I think about the way my brother Jesus lived and the example that he was to us growing up, these are some of the things that stood out to me. First of all, Jesus always controlled his tongue. If someone thinks he is religious, by the way, the word religious just means a devoted worshiper. If someone thinks they are a devoted worshiper of God yet does not restrain or bridle their tongue, again, they're just deceiving themselves, and their religion is futile. That's, that's strong. It means pointless, profitless. In other words, a lot of times what we say or how we say it as Christians really undermines our witness, our ability to make an impact and influence others because they won't be receptive because of what we're saying or how we even say it. So we're just deceiving ourselves. Or we could be like the person that James is going to talk about later in chapter 3, because this is a big thing to James, that out of the same mouth proceeds blessing God and cursing others. And James says, no, whoa, 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 that shouldn't be. Because the same fountain, the same spring, should be flowing and creating a continuity, not a contradiction. So we're going to get to that in chapter 3. But I think James, I'm sure like everyone else, was always amazed at the way Jesus restrained his tongue. And by the way, this word bridle or restrain literally means to lead, to lead your tongue. To not let our mouth and our words lead us, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, to lead what we say or what we don't say. And, you know, I even think about, because we, we were there a couple weeks ago and we were reminded of Jesus on the cross and how even the prophet Isaiah said he didn't open up his mouth like a lamb led before his shears. And, and how 
the things that did come out of Jesus' mouth, even as he was crucified, were words of love and kindness and forgiveness, like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But most of the time, he just kept his mouth shut and took it. And yet, he could have just vaporized everybody with a word. Restraint. Leading our tongue That's one way to be fruitful, James says. Another is to look out and care for those who are less fortunate than us. And I'm sure James saw tons of examples throughout the life of Jesus where Jesus was always looking out for ways to help others. So James says, pure, genuine, and undefiled or undiluted acts of worship before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their misfortune, to basically look out or make oneself available for those in need around us, to, in a sense, always be that good Samaritan that sees something and knows that you have the resources in some way to help. Or maybe it's even just, again, going back to the tongue, maybe it's not something physical, some kind of physical resource or provision, but just a kind word of encouragement. Maybe it's just a smile. Maybe it's just a hug. But it's, it's in some way to look out and be sensitive to those around us, to those that are hurting. James says that's, that's being fruitful. see. And then finally, to keep oneself unstained by the world. James is saying, don't allow the world to influence you. That's what he's saying here. Don't allow the world to influence you. Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world pressure you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And again, I think James saw this in Jesus. Why do I say that? Because while he was here on earth, Jesus was always talking about one thing. I'm here to do whose will? My Father's will. He wasn't influenced by the world. He wasn't influenced by the Roman authorities and by the Jewish religious leaders and all the, the, the crowds and what everybody was saying. He didn't get caught up in all the applause when he was popular because he knew how fickle people was. That didn't impress him. Crowds didn't impress him. None of those externals impressed Jesus. All that mattered to Jesus was, I am here to do the will of my Father. I will not be influenced by any other source. Not going to let the world tell me what to do. Because going full circle, and I'll wrap it up, How can we truly hear and listen for the voice of God if we're listening at the same time to so many other voices? That's how you and I keep ourselves from being influenced by the world and we lock on and tune in to the voice of God. God's desire for his children is that we be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. 
And when you and I came to faith in Jesus Christ, that was our first offering. But that wasn't the end. That was just the promise of more to come. And throughout our life then, as a Christian, God wants to see us bear fruit to his glory and for our benefit and others around us. How do we do that? Two things. One, create an environment or a soil within our lives and our hearts that God's voice, God's revelation, God's message can penetrate and grow and develop and be productive. And second, God wants us, as we hear him, to constantly be making the connection of how do I apply that? What does God want me to apply? How do I live that out? How do I put that into practice? Because if we're just taking it in and we're not expressing it or living it out, we're only going halfway. Let's be a people that are determined and diligent to be fully productive, to maximize our God-given potential and to bear fruit for his glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for the wonderful time we've had in your house. What a time of worship, God, as we made you the priority. And God, I pray that we continued with that in our time in your word tonight. And that more than anything, God, that every one of us did not hear my voice tonight, but in some way, we all heard your voice. That there was something, God, that you wanted to speak to us about here, in particular or specifically. And God, it was something that either we needed to deal with internally or externally. And God, I pray that we will always have a soil in our lives that your word can be planted in. And that as you plant your message within us, that eventually the fruit begins to come. And that what you're doing inside begins to be expressed outwardly in a very visible tangible, and evident way. God, thank you tonight that, Lord, we get to worship you and that our worship God of you can be vibrant, it can be verbal, and it can be visible. That even though, God, we worship you and, and you are an invisible God to us at this point, God, we're so thankful that we are connected to you in such a real way that it's as if you're right here with us. And so, God, I pray that the reality that is you will not only be here tonight, but will carry us through not only the rest of tonight, but the rest of this week and this month and this year. As we continue to grow in our fruitfulness, these things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.